Welcome to the My Canine Coach Podcast, a show that coaches dog owners on how to achieve their ideal lifestyle with and for their dogs. You'll hear from canine coach Dana as she breaks down actionable dog training protocols, explores current dog training trends, and shares insights from her own experiences owning and working with dogs. Now, here's your host, canine coach Dana. Welcome to the very first episode of the My Canine Coach podcast. I'm excited that you're here listening in and joining me. The topic that we're going to be covering today is one that you all chose. I put out a poll on my Instagram asking you guys out of a couple topics that I had in mind, which one you guys wanted to hear about the most. And the one that you guys chose was hearing about my dog training journey and how I became a dog trainer. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. And I do have Loki in the room with me. If you hear a dog, well, this is a dog training podcast. Um, I do my best in editing to get uh, noises that he makes out of the final cut. But if you do hear him, he's hanging out with me. He's my buddy. Uh, so he will be in the background maybe a couple times. We'll see. So where I want to start is by first sharing that I, for most of my life, really didn't have any background with dogs. I didn't grow up with dogs. I, um, my family was allergic to dogs. So I'm allergic. My dad, my sister, my brother were all allergic to dogs. And so owning a dog was not really conducive to um, our household. No, it doesn't still bother me. My allergies now as a dog trainer, I think actually being around a lot of dogs has um, decreased my reactions and they never really were that bad to begin with. But um, at least for our childhood, it didn't make sense for us to have a dog in that household. So I didn't have this background of growing up with a dog and falling in love with dogs from a young age that propels, propelled me to become a dog trainer. That, that wasn't my origin story. Um, my first dog that I ever got actually was back in 2018 uh, when my husband, who was my boyfriend at the time, really wanted to get a dog. And he grew up with dogs, so he was missing that uh, companionship that was part of his life since he was um, little. His family had a dog um, essentially when he was born. So he's always grown up with dogs. And when that dog would pass away, they would get another one. And so he was very comfortable and accustomed to having a dog in his life. And so he was really pushing for us to get a dog. Now, he didn't really get involved with training the dogs that he grew up with. Uh, they were more the parents' responsibility than the children's. So both of us didn't really have a good understanding of what it takes to really raise and train a dog. But nonetheless, we found ourselves in the position of getting a dog in 2018 when um, my husband ran into someone in our apartment complex who was walking a young cattle dog puppy. And he fell in love immediately with the look of this dog and struck up a conversation with the woman who was walking it. What he learned was that this woman had gotten this puppy from a breeder in Vermont, which all of a sudden made it completely feasible for, or completely possible, I should say, for Andrew and I to get a puppy. 
So after that conversation, he came home and expressed what he had learned from this woman walking this cattle dog and uh, showed me pictures of cattle dogs and said that he knew a way for us to get one and that it was at a price that we could afford and all of this stuff. And I caved <laughs> and said yes to getting a puppy. What we certainly failed to do was our research. So we didn't know what type of demands this dog was going to place on us and what type of lifestyle we needed to provide this type of breed in order for it to live a fulfilled life. We had no idea what it meant essentially to own a cattle dog. And if you do your research on cattle dogs, you'll know that most of the articles out there about this breed, they all seem to sing the same tune of don't get this type of dog if this is your first time owning a dog. So um, they are a very high demanding breed in the sense that they're extremely intelligent. They have really high energy outputs and they need to um, be fulfilled daily with at least an hour, if not more, of both physical and mental exercise. They're very headstrong and um, can be very stubborn, which makes them difficult to own. If you are not sure what you're doing and you um, refrain from putting in any boundaries or structure, they are uh, very, they very easily can walk all over you, put it that way. So we got a dog that we certainly weren't prepared to own, but we got it. <laughs> um, some other things that were in play at the time that are important to share is that Andrew and I were both working full time. So we would work eight hour days. And on top of that, Andrew was in school full time. So he would go to work in the morning, work all day. And then right after work, he would have to go straight to in-person classes at um, a college local to us. And then after classes, he would come home and he would immediately have to work on assignments because that was the only extra time that he had to work on any of those projects. So his day really didn't allow for him to devote much of any of it to raising and training a dog. And so a lot of that work fell on my shoulders and I was just very naive to how much effort needs to go into something like that. I would work for a full day and then I would come home and I would have to be in puppy mode where I'm doing everything that I need to to fulfill and raise this puppy properly and also just make sure that he's not destroying our household. Um, some other things to note too is that we didn't get him from a responsible breeder. So we didn't do the homework into researching the breed and we didn't do the homework into researching who we were getting this dog from. He ended up coming from a person who bred him in the south of the U.S. And the person that we purchased him from was like a middleman. So she would get the dogs from the person who bred them, have them relocated to her home in Vermont, and then she would sell them to buyers in the Northeast. And that setup is not necessarily a bad thing um, if it's done correctly. However, it was done incorrectly in terms of um, how old Coda was when he was taken from his mother and relocated to Vermont. So he was removed from his mother when he was about five weeks of age. 
And then when he was relocated to Vermont, he was still with his littermates, uh, but he wasn't around his mother anymore. Why that matters is because Coda was removed from his mom at a critical stage when he needed to learn some lessons that could only be taught to him by his mother at a key developmental stage. So he really shouldn't have been removed from his mother any younger than seven weeks of age. And so he missed a lot of critical development and learning because he was um, removed from her. Things that he failed to develop fully is what's called bite inhibition. So when the puppies are around that age, that five weeks old of age, they start to play a lot more and how puppies play with each other is by using their mouths. And so through play, puppies learn what is an appropriate bite strength and what is an inappropriate bite strength. So for instance, one puppy wants to play with another, the first puppy goes into play, and if the first puppy is biting too hard during the play, the second puppy will cut off play and show body language that they don't like that and they don't want to keep playing with that puppy anymore. If the puppy doesn't really get the message, that's where the mom can come in and, again, correct that puppy for being too rough. Same goes if the puppy chooses to play with its mom or with its dad, they will correct that puppy to let them know that, hey, that's a little bit too intense, that's too strong, that's not how we play, you need to dial it down. So Kona never really learned what was an appropriate bite strength. The reason why that matters so much is because when we got him and we were going through the puppy biting period, which all puppies go through and is very natural, he would constantly uh, draw blood and, and cause cuts on us because he didn't understand what was too strong. In addition to that, he's from the herding group and they're bred to use their mouths to herd livestock. So the puppy biting period is a little bit more intense, I would say, for owners who have a dog from that that group of breeds because any type of movement that you make will trigger those instincts that they have innate to them to try and herd you. And often that's showcased with them going after your ankles a lot and using their mouth to try to corral you or move you around. So let's recap all the things that we had done wrong at that time that really didn't set us up to be successful. One, we didn't have a firm understanding of the dedication required to give a puppy and how to raise it, and that we didn't understand how much time we needed to devote to that. We both were working full-time, and Andrew being in school really wasn't the correct time in our journey together in our household for us to bring a puppy into that mix. Secondly, we didn't research the breed. We didn't have an understanding of what we were getting into with the demands that this breed was going to place upon us. And thirdly, we didn't do our research in choosing a responsible or ethical breeder. We chose to pay money into somebody who was demonstrating poor breeding practices, and that in turn showcased in the type of behavior that our puppy then was exhibiting. So there's three strikes right there, and there's more to come. (laughs) So we would have Coda in his crate all day while we were at work, and we would hire someone to come to the home and let him out periodically uh, so that he could use the bathroom because it certainly was not feasible for him to hold it for that entire stretch of time. But then when I would get home, I would immediately get Coda out of his crate 
And I had this guilt complex that I felt if I was going to be keeping him in his crate for eight hours of a day, then it's only fair that I allow him to be out of his crate for the entire evening that I can devote time to him before I have to go to bed. What that essentially looked like was I would get home, he would come out of his crate, and I would have five or six hours where I would be on puppy duty, um, which is extremely exhausting and extremely draining. If you've gone through puppyhood, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I also didn't understand that I could have put some structure, rules, and boundaries in place to make that time period that I was spending with Coda much more easy on me and also utilize things to prevent him from developing bad habits. So essentially what that looked like at the time was I would let him out of his crate and then he would just kind of do whatever he wanted to do. We would have toys out for him to play with, but he really would have free roam of our apartment um, and could get into anything because I didn't have any structure or boundaries in place to, um, or tools in place to control his impulses or control what he had access to. We didn't have any gates up and I didn't have him drag a leash around with him inside the house. So it was really difficult to corral and control his lack of impulses since he is such a baby. Uh, he would constantly be getting into things and I would constantly have to, uh, be supervising him for hours on end. I never really gave myself a break during that time. I thought, hey, my dog's been in his crate for eight hours. It's not really fair for me to put him back in his crate during the time that I can devote time to him. I would take him out on walks, of course. We would get exercise out or we would do some exercise together. Uh, But I really wasn't providing him with a lot of physical or mental outlets And he was spending a lot of the time in the apartment with me, essentially getting up to no good because I didn't have the things in place that I should have had to prevent those bad habits from forming and to make things easier on myself. I also didn't realize that puppies need an exorbitant amount of sleep and it would have been appropriate for me to put him in his crate for 20 minutes or 30 minutes here and there just to give myself a break, but also to give him a break and let his body rest and recharge because that's really what he needs at that age. So with that messy plan in place, what I ended up defaulting to doing to combat having to supervise a crazy puppy for hours on end in my evenings was I would take him on walks and I would try to get him to be so exhausted that by the time we would come back, he would be nice and chill and calm and I could actually get a break or a reprieve from um, his crazy uh, energy and getting into stuff all the time. What that ended up turning into, though, was me building this major athlete. So we would start in the beginning with going on walks for maybe 20 minutes and I would get a nice calm puppy when I got home. But after about a week of doing that, he would adapt and get accustomed to that type of exertion. And so 20 minutes wasn't enough to then get that calm puppy that I wanted when I got home. And so I would then go on a longer walk. And then this just cycled over and over. He would get accustomed to the energy outlet and the exertion that he needed to put in for whatever time period that we were on at whatever stage we were. 
And in order for me to get that same result of a tired puppy, I would have to go on longer and longer walks. And essentially, I was just making this insane athlete who was capable of really high endurance. And I wasn't understanding that exercise wasn't the only um, or the most effective way to really tire my dog out. What I should have been doing was giving him a lot of mental exercise. So I would come home in the evenings and this turned into eventually me taking him on like two hour walks every evening, which also was just not feasible for me to do with my lifestyle and taking care of the things I needed to take care of with the rest of my life and all the other demands that I have. As Coda aged, I wasn't able to essentially keep up with him. He was able to withstand these big, long stretches of walks. And heaven forbid that it rained um, because then I wasn't able to take him on these really, really long walks. Otherwise, I would have to be miserable out in that weather and freeze my butt off. And so then I would have this dog in my house who's not getting that really long endurance outlet. And then he would just go manic and crazy in the house. All of this culminated to the point where I truly didn't want to come home from work. I knew that when I got home from work, I had to devote all of this patience and attention to a being living in my house that essentially was there at that time to destroy things, get into things, cause me pain from the biting and the razor sharp puppy teeth and lack of bite inhibition. And I just truly didn't want to be around him. I didn't know what I was doing and I didn't know how to make my situation better. This led me to having a conversation with Andrew about possibly hiring a trainer to help. I was the person who was the sole caregiver of this puppy and I needed to talk to him and share my concerns and express what I was going through. And we came to the conclusion that hiring a trainer would be the best thing for us. And hopefully that would provide us with some of the solutions to the bad behaviors that we were dealing with and not knowing how to combat or overcome. So I did a little bit of a Google search just to see what trainers were around me. And I just hired, um, really any old trainer, essentially. I thought that all trainers were the same, and I thought that they were all qualified and capable of training any type of dog-related concern that an owner might had, uh, or might have, I should say. And I thought that they all used the same training methods and training style. I didn't know that there was a variety of those things. And so I just kind of went with one. She came to our house and the way that her program worked was she would come once a month uh, and she would come three times. What um, ended up happening was her methodology was focused primarily on positive reinforcement, which is rewarding your dog for things that you like in order to convince your dog to do those things again in the future because they know that they will lead to positive outcomes. And this was excellent in giving me a solid foundation of basic dog training and understanding of how to motivate a dog to do something. I didn't know any of this, and so I didn't know how to teach my dog to sit or want to sit for me or to down um, or things like that, just basic obedience stuff. I didn't know that I could be rewarding him for things that I liked in order to get him to want to do those things more are more often in the future. And so it was a great foundation for us. However, 
because she refrained from using any type of punishment or corrections, we weren't able to fully address the bad behaviors that Coda was exhibiting. So we certainly were able to show him that there was a an option on his table that he could take that would lead to a positive rewarding outcome, but we never were able to express to him that choosing option B would lead to a consequence that you want to avoid. And because we weren't able to apply that through her own beliefs in um, how she prefers to train, Coda would flip-flop all the time between choosing the one that we like, that we want to reward him for, or choosing option B that he just has built up a habit of doing and also get some form of self-reward in doing that thing that we don't like. So it really didn't help us in terms of being able to curb the bad behaviors that we were seeing, but it did certainly help us get a better understanding of how to teach him to do things. And so we got that background or that foundation in how to train a dog, but it really didn't get us to the end goal that we were looking for. And so after working with her, Coda's much older now. He's about seven, eight months, and I'm still struggling with the biting. I'm still struggling with the getting into things in our house and not paying attention to me on walks or outside and pulling me places and counter surfing and uh, all of those things that really make it difficult to live with a dog within your home or to share in experiences with your dog outside of your home. And so again, I went back to Andrew and I shared what was going on and I don't want to paint Andrew out to be the bad guy in this podcast, but we definitely were not set up to be a partnered unit in being able to train and provide for this puppy. It really was falling on my shoulders. So a lot of these conversations started or originated from me expressing a concern, but we always came together and decided what would be best for us um, and what we would both commit to partaking in, or he would commit to as much of that as he possibly could with the other constraints and demands that he had uh, in his day. And so around the age of seven, eight months, we're still struggling. And so I want to try again and hire a different trainer. This time I do a research. Again, I still don't really fully understand that there are different methodologies and there's different training styles. I just thought that perhaps that first trainer that we hired wasn't capable enough to help us and that we needed somebody with more experience. And so we hired a second trainer that... Um, was on the opposite end of the spectrum in terms of what type of training methodology or training style this type this trainer um, utilizes in their teachings. And so he fell more on the compulsion end where he was very much into utilizing corrections or punishment and he rarely or very lightly used any type of positive reinforcement in um, rewarding the dog for making the good choices. It was a lot of correcting the dog when it would make the the make the incorrect choice or the choice that we don't like, but not a lot of, hey, now you're making a good choice. Here, I'm going to pay you for that. I'm going to reward you for that. So we kind of went from one end of the training spectrum, one end of the training spectrum to the other from mainly and solely utilizing positive reinforcement and rewarding things that we like to only correcting the dog for things that we don't like. What we got out of that training style was Coda, who was essentially afraid to make 
the wrong choices and he certainly was controlling his impulses, but there was no um, silver lining to our relationship with him. It was very much a, you must do what we say, you must not make the wrong choices. If you do, you will get punished for that. And it really er eroded and deteriorated our trust and um, Coda's feelings of safety and security with us because we weren't also showing him the correct path. We were only correcting <laughs> him for choosing the wrong path. And we could see in his behavior that he was really suppressing a lot of his impulses and urges and was certainly hesitant to act or do things. And we saw a really strong personality shift in him that we didn't like. And so after working with that trainer, we didn't get really any further along in reaching our goal. We now had a dog who had a negative personality shift. He was certainly behaving better sometimes, but he would still try to challenge us and go back to old habits because we never showed him a better way when we were working with the trainer who used primarily compulsion. And so coming away from that relationship with the second trainer, I really felt like I was out of a lot of hope that I was going to be able to find someone and hire them that would actually help solve the problems that we're struggling with in the home with CODA. And I also was out of a lot of money. So hiring a trainer I know is expensive and it, for some people it can be a, a true stretch or even considered a luxury uh, to be able to hire someone to come help you uh, with problems that you're having with your dog. And after working through two trainers, we had already invested a lot of money and I wasn't feeling secure in trusting someone else with more money again and feeling like they were really going to be able to help solve this problem. And so both of those feelings of not having a lot of trust or hope and also really having as much cash flow as I did two trainers ago to hire a third one, I decided that I'm just going to try and educate myself as much as possible and I'm going to fix this problem myself. Now, looking back on that, I do realize that we certainly weren't the household for a cattle dog. We lived in an apartment and we had access to a fenced area in our apartment complex where we could take Coda to exercise him. However, we worked all day and so we really weren't the correct lifestyle for a cattle dog. And I realize now that at that point I could have made the decision to rehome him with someone who did live the lifestyle that would be best suitable for Coda. And that would have been a responsible choice that I could have made at that time. However, I viewed that at the time as being a failure or um, failing this dog or giving up on this dog. If I chose to rehome him, to me, I viewed that as giving up on this dog because I decided to bring this dog into my home. And so I need to be dedicated to doing whatever it takes to provide for him and give him the best the best life that he could live. But a lot of that is roped up into uh, feeling very guilty that you're not capable or able to do what's best for the dog at the time. And um, my personality really interpreted that as failing him 
and I didn't want to think of myself as a failure. I wanted to do whatever it took to help and provide for him. And so choosing to rehome him felt to me at that time like a cop-out. But looking back at it now, it truly would have been a responsible choice that I could have made because we certainly weren't living the lifestyle before we got Coda that would match up with what he needed from us. But regardless, I decided to teach myself as much as I could about dog training. Now that I had worked with two trainers already, I had a better understanding of the basics of dog training, what the buzzwords are in the industry. I knew kind of how to search things. And so I went to and spent a lot of time on YouTube watching a lot of dog training content. At that time, if you caught me at a moment during my day where I'm not preoccupied or obligated to be doing something else, I was consuming dog training content. So I was either watching videos on YouTube or reading articles or blogs um, or enrolling in courses eventually once I realized that that was a thing that I could do online. And so I really started to absorb as much dog training related content as I could. And then once I got a firm understanding of something, I would try it out with Coda and see if it worked. So if somebody suggested to do something this way, I would then try it at home with Coda and see how he responded or see how his behavior changed. And if it resulted in the behavior change that I was looking for, then I would stay consistent with that. Or if we didn't get anywhere, then I would go back online do some more research and try to find another method or another training protocol that I could try. So it really came down to a lot of trial and error where I would just try things and see if they worked. And if they didn't, I would go right back to the drawing board. What I think really helped me through this whole process is that I'm a person who truly, really likes learning. Being in college was something that I actually really enjoyed. And so Absorbing new things and getting an education or figuring new things out is something that I find highly rewarding or I feel is very rewarding to me. So spending a lot of time watching videos and learning things, although that may sound like a lot of work or something that you would dread, I actually really, really enjoyed it. And that's why I would spend pretty much all of my downtime watching videos or reading articles or doing things like that. And my education evolved from just watching random videos online to actually enrolling in some courses or following specific trainers. Thinking back on who some of those people were, I do remember that one of the first trainers that I started to really gravitate towards and pay attention to a lot of his content was Brian Bailey of um, Taming the Wild. At the time, he was doing a video series on Facebook where he would go live every single day and cover a different dog training topic. And so if I was able to, I would tune into the live as it was happening. Or if I wasn't able to watch it live, I would spend time each day going back and watching that live and learning from what he had to share. So many other trainers or companies that I started to pay more attention to were Absolute Dogs, which is a UK-based company. Dr. Ian Dunbar, I downloaded and absorbed a huge library of content from him. Uh, Ted from Mango Dogs. Tyler Muto, I started to dive into stuff and uh, that he put out or his teachings. I found Learberg and video series from Michael Ellis. I started to get attached to or got interested in Nipopo, which is a 
uh, training style that Pat Stewart talks about often. And I enrolled in a summer course through, um, or that was hosted by Lauren Turner. I got into Larry Crone and I bought his book on how to train your dog using an e-collar. Natalie Dobkins was another trainer that I followed. And um, all of this led me to finding the School of Canine Science, which currently has a three-year online self-study course called the Behavior Bible that I'm currently enrolled in. We're in the early beginning stages of year two right now. But that's just a quick hit list. There definitely are way more trainers that I follow and I learn from online, but those are the ones that kind of came to mind as I'm uh, talking through my history of learning and absorbing information. And so through all of that, I was able to actually train Coda to a pretty high standard compared to other uh, average pet dog owners. And the reason why was, one, I really, really enjoyed the learning process, But two, I'm also someone who really likes to teach others. So to take what I learned and actually apply it and see Coda learn and uh, watch him develop these skills was also something that was highly rewarding to me. So the cycle of learning something, teaching it to Coda, and then getting those results and feeling that satisfaction just repeated and replayed over and over again. And every day I would find myself working with Coda because I just really loved it. And so I was able to train him to a pretty decently high level, at least compared to other pet owners who just weren't putting in the amount of time that I was because they just didn't have that same passion or that same drive for it. Because we lived in an apartment complex and we were only able to have Coda off-leash in the gated dog area in our complex, we were often hanging out with other owners who lived in the complex and I got to know them and got to know their dogs and I started to hear comments from them about Coda's behavior or what he's capable of doing and they would go, wow, how did you teach him how to do that? Or hey, my dog is doing this. Did, did Coda used to do that in the past? How did you overcome that? And I would help them as best as I could and give them suggestions. But those slowly over time started to evolve into, hey, your dog is really, really well behaved. Have you ever considered being a trainer before? I think that that would be something that other people would like from you or would hire you for. And I started to get comments like that. Those comments started to pique my interest because I actually had never considered being a dog trainer myself. I was working full-time and I had been working on my career in the marketing industry since I graduated college. I have two degrees, in one in English and one in communications and a minor in marketing. And right after college, I got my first job in marketing and I've never left that industry And so that's always been a fruitful career for me, and I've never considered really doing much else beside that. I do have a passion for that, but I was finding that I was having this stronger desire, this stronger passion for dog training, and that's really what started me to, or that's really what prompted me to consider dog training as a viable job for me. But I will say, I'm not a risk taker. I'm certainly a person who airs on the side of caution. I really like control. And so taking a big leap like that is really out of character for me. And I know that I certainly wouldn't have made the choice to do that if it were not for Andrew. So as I was kind of 
playing around with the idea or the possibility of me even being a dog trainer, I would have conversations with Andrew about it and get his take on things. And had I not had his support, I know that I would not have made the choice or the leap to become a dog trainer. Him telling me that I could do that and that he would support me if I chose to do that or support me as best as he could as a partner and for our household, those were the two things that I needed to prompt me or to give me that push that I needed to make the decision to become a dog trainer. So I have to give him all of the credit in the world on that. He was certainly the catalyst that gave me that final push I needed to take this seriously and actually pursue it as a career. So in September of 2020, I started my business. And what that looked like was I built a website and I established a social media presence. With my marketing background, doing both of those things was something that I was familiar with and certainly capable of. So doing those things was easy for me and that was a great way for me to get a digital presence out there and to start um, showing up and ranking on Google for searches, all that kind of stuff I knew how to do already and so that's where I started. The rest of 2020, I didn't have any clients, but I did commit starting in October of that year to really bolster my online presence, especially on my Instagram channel, by committing to going live on my Instagram every week for a full year and covering a different dog training topic, which I can proudly say I completed. It was stressful and a lot harder than I thought, but I did go live every single week and cover a different topic except for one week out of the whole year because I would I went on vacation and I didn't have internet access so I wasn't able to go live that week. But <laughs> for the rest of the weeks I did go live every week and I was starting to see some traction from doing that and it also just gave me the content that I needed on my Instagram page to show that I do have a value in this space. I do have an understanding of what I'm talking about and I do have resources for people. In 2021, uh, February of 2021, so actually I'm coming up on an anniversary for my business, I uh, purchased the LLC rights for my company. And that year, 2021, I had actually my first few clients. I had about six to seven clients that year. And I also developed a partnership with a breeder out of Texas where I would host online classes for customers of her litters to teach them some puppy raising tips and give them some basic understanding of how to navigate through puppyhood in terms of house training, crate training, simple obedience, and curbing puppy biting and jumping and stuff like that. Halfway through that year was also when I first enrolled in the Behavior Bible three-year course that I'm currently taking now, and that was a large investment for me, but it was investment in myself in giving me more education on how to train different types of problems that clients may be struggling with with their dog and give me better experience in terms of know-how of how to approach those things. And throughout the year of 2021, I was seriously considering making an online course. 
Again, with my marketing background, I have a firm understanding of tools and applications that I could use to create an online course. And I had a firm understanding of how to structure something like that, how to put it together, how to market it, how to get it out there, and how to provide the support that my members would need from me in a digital presence. And so I really was tinkering with the idea of putting something together like that. Mainly, I was trying to figure out what dog training-related topic I wanted to cover in a full course format. And in the fall of 2021, I nailed down my course idea, which was to create an online course that would coach owners on how to raise and train a puppy from the day that they get it, assuming that the puppy is as young as eight weeks old, up until the puppy is six months old. So I would be there as a coach for them to help them through that entire journey on how to socialize, crate train, potty train, teach basic obedience, how to add structure to your home, how to instill some boundaries with you and your puppy, how to build trust through play, how to curb the puppy biting and the jumping. And so all of those things I encapsulated and started to outline in the fall of 2021. And my goal was to use Coda as my demo dog in the videos that would go into the course so I could demonstrate how to do the things that I was coaching people to do at home with their own puppy with an experienced dog who was capable of showing and demonstrating the things that I needed to help my students progress through the different levels of coaching and training that we would cover within the course. And in October of that year, I started to really get nitty gritty and build out my outline and structure of what I wanted to cover and in what order and started to write my scripts for the videos that I would record. However, my plans truly got derailed in November of 2021 uh, because that's when Coda died. So he unexpectedly passed away in that month. And we don't truly know the cause of his passing, but we do have a a good, firm, best guess as to what caused it. He was just hanging out with Andrew in the apartment, and he got the zoomies and started running around. But then all of a sudden, he collapsed, and he uh, started seizing a little bit and then was completely still. Andrew rushed him to the vet. However, by the time that Andrew had gotten to our vet, which really is... Um, only three minutes from us, uh, but Coda really passed very suddenly. He had already passed it away, and based on their examination of him, their best deduction of what occurred was that Coda had a heart attack due to an inconsistent um, heartbeat. And so it's something that would not have shown up if you were listening to his heartbeat unless you were listening to his heart at the exact time that he would have that irregularity in his heartbeat. So it wasn't something that would happen, let's say, every four beats. It was something that would happen sporadically, and you would only catch it if you did like a full, um, I can't remember what the name of it is, but a, a full sound uh, recording um, or evaluation of his heart over like a 24-hour period to listen in and see if they're at any point during that period there is an irregularity in his heartbeat. So their best guess was that he got the zoomies, which caused his heart rate to go up at the same time that he had this irregular beat, and that's what caused him to go into cardiac arrest and ultimately pass away. So He passed away, and that event in and of itself was utterly devastating to both Andrew and I. 
especially because it was so unexpected and we only had him in our lives for two and a half years. In terms of my business, I now didn't have a dog that I could use for demonstrations um, to market my services or to use as the uh, demonstration dog that I was going to use in this course that I was building. And so both Andrew and I were really at a loss. We didn't really know how to move forward, both emotionally from the fact that we lost such an important member of our household. But for me, I didn't know how to move forward with my business and, and where I was going to be able to take it without having a dog that I could use in my business. I remember a couple days after Coda had passed away, Andrew came up to me and wanted to ask me if I would ever consider owning or having a dog again. He definitely was hoping for a certain answer, but he gave me the space to give the answer that I wanted, and I didn't really think hard on it. I just knew that I wanted to have another dog in our lives. The empty feeling of not having that companion who just hangs out with you and is just there is something that I wanted to fulfill again. I wanted to have that buddy who was with me inside my home or was with me to go do fun things. And I couldn't imagine not having that companion anymore. And so I said to him, no, I, I definitely want to get another dog. And he said, okay, great. <laughs> I think he was very relieved by my response. And then he followed that up with, okay, well, when do you think that is? Do you think that you need a long timeline to grieve Coda's passing? Or is this something that you would want to investigate and look to do in, you know, the near, near future? Would you want to get a dog right away? And again, I knew that I wanted that void filled as soon as possible. And so I told him, I want to get a dog as soon as we can. And once again, he was very happy to hear my answer because he totally felt exactly the same. So like a week after, or maybe a little bit more than a week after Coda passed away, I started doing a lot of research on breeds and trying to find who our next dog was going to be. I think diving into something like that and preoccupying my mind on a new task that I wanted to accomplish as quickly as possible so I could get on a list as possible so I could get a puppy as soon as possible, I think really helped me process Coda's passing. I didn't really dwell a lot in my grief because I had something else to focus on. And so it really helped me overcome the trauma of his loss. And when I was doing a lot of my research, I now had a better understanding of what it is I should be looking for or should be considering in getting a dog for our house. So I knew I needed to take into consideration what our lifestyle is, what we're able to provide, and what type of dog was really going to be the best match for us. We truly adapted to owning Coda and that we dedicated an hour or two hours every day to giving him the mental and physical exercise that he needed that often was given to him in the form of playing fetch. And that was something that fulfilled a lot of his biological needs to chase and herd things. And it also gave him the mental and physical stimulation that he needed in that he would be running. <laughs> but also I would add or overlay obedience work into it where I would ask him to do certain obedience commands or do certain tricks before he would get rewarded with the throw of the ball. And so that was adding that mental stimulation component to it as well. And so 
Andrew and I were able to really adapt our lifestyle to suit the needs of Coda, but we also understood after Coda passed away that that was something that we didn't want to have to commit to long term. We would have if Coda hadn't passed away, we would have kept it up as long as he needed us to do that. However, it's not something that we wanted to dedicate ourselves to again with this next dog. So when I was doing the research, I stuck with the herding group because I found that I really liked the driviness of those dogs and the intelligence and their capacity. But I wanted to be very strict with which dogs I was considering in terms of how much energy demands do they have and how much work do you have to put into them in order for them to feel truly fully fulfilled. This led me to finding the Bohemian Shepherd breed, which is a breed that was just recognized by the AKC. And at the time when I was researching it, there were no breeders in the U.S. Uh, These dogs are only bred overseas. And so we were looking at having a dog imported into the U.S. for us. The reason why I ended up liking this breed is it really just hit all the marks I was looking for. It is gorgeous, although that's the last thing on the list that I look for, but I do also think that they're gorgeous. But more importantly, they are extremely intelligent, which I like because that makes a dog or that gives you a dog that's a thinker and is really capable and very easy to train. They don't have as high of energy outlets as, say, a cattle dog or a Malinois or even a German Shepherd. They're kind of like middle of the road energy types of dogs. So if you want them to be more of a housemate kind of couch potato dog, they can adapt and do that. And you don't have to work them hard daily in order for them to be truly fulfilled. Two other characteristics that were also very important to us at the time are that the dog is good with children and generally comfortable and not very wary of uh, strangers, is good with people. Andrew and I were engaged at the time that we were looking to get our next dog. And so we knew that having children was a possibility for our future. And so we wanted to make sure that the dog that we were going to get for the next hopefully 15-ish years was going to be a dog that is suitable to be in a home with children. And so the Bohemian Shepherd ranked top scores in both of those categories. And that really, truly sold it for me. And so with a little bit of luck, Google Translator... Um, And a lot of research, I eventually was able to connect us with a breeder in Slovakia who was willing to sell and ship a puppy from her latest litter to us. And we ended up getting Loki in February of 2022. We actually got him on Valentine's Day and he became our newest dog in our household. Now, while that was all going on, I also was making plans to figure out how to record my and get my course out now that I didn't have a dog who I knew was capable of demonstrating the things that I needed to showcase in the course. I got lucky in December of 2021 when Janet and John reached out to me to help them raise and train their chocolate lab puppy named Holly. And through the training that I did with them and her, we were able to develop her to the point where I could use her to demonstrate the things that I wanted to demonstrate in the course. And they, thankfully, I have to give a huge shout out to them, were generous in allowing me to borrow Holly and use her and record the things that I needed to record uh, with her. She was an excellent demo dog for the course. And so if you are enrolled in the course, or if you ever do enroll, that chocolate lab, that's Holly. And I got to give a shout out in props to her and her owners. Throughout the rest of February of 2022, 
I was focused on raising and training Loki and also completing my course. So I was focused primarily at that point, editing all of the videos that go into it and, and putting the whole thing together and then marketing and getting it out. In March, it was completed and it has been out since. And it's a project that I am truly proud of, not only in what it offers and what it provides owners, but in the fact that I was able to complete such a large project. I'm very passionate about that course because it, in my opinion, arms owners with the things that they need to know in order to avoid all of the headache and stress that I went through with owning Coda and not knowing anything about <laughs> raising or training a puppy. And so I absolutely love that course and I'm truly proud that I put that out and put it together. It was a bit stressful to get that finished and also bring a new puppy into our lives. But I think the reason why I was able to push through that was because I was just so over the moon excited to have a second opportunity to raise a puppy this time around, knowing a heck of a lot more than what I did when we first got Coda. So I had all of these great ambitions and true excitement about being able to properly raise a puppy this time around, build up its confidence, its resiliency, and really truly develop a stable adult dog who is well-behaved, well-mannered, even-keeled, uh, very adaptable, but also very fun to own in that I knew that I was going to be able to teach it all the things that I've taught Coda, and I was excited to be able to do all of that again. But Loki had different plans for me. <laughs> and I don't mean different plans in that we aren't still able to work towards or have been achieving those things, but he added a whole other element to that that I just wasn't prepared for and totally didn't expect, which is that Loki became reactive to dogs and people at a young age. And so my focus with him now has been working through his reactivity and teaching myself a lot more about behavior modification. So prior to owning Loki, I certainly was the trainer to hire if you got a puppy and you wanted to know how to raise and train it properly so it's a good housemate for you. You have an adult dog that's being a little bratty inside your house and you want to curb some of those bad behaviors like counter surfing or uh, just being pushy or pulling you on the leash and stuff like that. Or if you have a dog that you want to dive into a little bit more obedience with and you want it to listen to your commands without you having to bribe it with a piece of food um, and listen to your commands when you give them and carry them out excitedly and passionately, I'm definitely the trainer to hire for those cases. But I'm not the trainer to hire if you have a reactive or an aggressive dog. That's not my forte. I'm very cautious and very specific about the clients that I hire who express to me that those are the behavior problems that they're dealing with because I know that that's not my true expertise. And so getting Loki and then being faced with the fact that he now has reactivity and that's something that I have to now help him overcome was something that I truly wasn't prepared for at the time but have been diving fully into since then. So I really think that... Coda was the dog who started my training journey and got my feet wet with training and pushed me to the point that I'm at or was at before I got Loki and that I felt very confident at my skill level and what I was able to provide owners at that stage. 
And now Loki is the dog who's going to push me to the next level of my training and pushing me to really dive into behavior modification and develop my skill set and expertise in that area. Behavior modification is very nuanced in that how you approach it with every dog is not the same. The basic foundation of what you're looking to achieve will remain the same, but it's very nuanced in how you need to approach it and what type of training tactics you would use regarding each individual dog that you're working with. And so it's something that I'm learning through very slowly because it does have all of this nuance to it. And it's definitely something that you can only really truly develop as a trainer the more you work it. And so I'm working solely with Loki now and just a few select clients that I'm comfortable working through their reactivity. And I know that getting more of those cases under my belt is how I'm really going to progress and evolve as a trainer. My goal in this year of 2023 is to attend a workshop or two that's specific to behavior modification so that I can go and get more hands-on experience under the tutelage of another trainer who has larger or a more robust uh, expertise in that area than I certainly do and hopefully work with a variety of dogs while attending that workshop. I do intend to bring Loki with me and have him to work through and get to get some advice from from other trainers on how they would approach his reactivity. And so that's one of the goals that I have for this year. I also am going to be completing that three-year a self-study course through the School of Canine Science. Um, that's not something that I believe will get completed in 2023, as I do know it's going to push me out into 2024 before all of the course material is available and I've been able to work through it. But it's still something that I'm progressing through throughout this year. And that's really where I'm at currently as a trainer. I started with absolutely no knowledge, got thrown into it by getting the dog that we certainly shouldn't have at the time, got my feet wet working with a couple trainers, dove into learning as much as possible and finding a true passion for it, starting my business, working through a few clients, and now expanding on my expertise and knowledge by pushing myself to go investigate and get some hands-on work in new training styles and new areas of training specific to behavior modification because Loki definitely needs that for me and so that's going to be the next stage in my journey. I'm excited for what's to come and I hope you guys are too. This is our first episode of the My Canine Coach podcast and there will be more to come. I'm not sure on how regular of a basis I'm going to be dropping episodes. I'm kind of learning my schedule and learning how to put things like this together as I go. And so I will be posting more updates in regards to when episodes are going to drop and what topics I'm going to cover in our Facebook group. If you're not already a member of the group, you can head over to the My Canine Coach podcast group and join in the community and the conversation there. That's a great space for not only suggesting episode topics if you want me to cover specific things, but it's also a community to talk about dog training and share your experiences or ask for help. That's the whole point of that group. And so definitely go check that out and go join there. You can also reach me through my website, mycaninecoach.com, 
or you can email me. It's caninecoachdana at gmail.com. All of those are the letter K, number nine, not the word canine. And if you enjoyed this episode and you want to further support this podcast or me and my business or Loki, <laughs> Uh, The best way you can do that is by writing a review and sharing the episode with people who you think would be interested or possibly get some value out of listening to me talk to them. And until next time, happy training.